Amen. Well, I am thankful to God uh, for the the privilege of gather of being His people and then gathering with His people of being open about our weakness and our brokenness and our frailty uh, and acknowledging that if we're going to hold on, we're, we're going to need some help. Uh, so grateful uh, to be together here this morning. Um, Sort of with a quick little illustration, uh, I don't know how many of you have been to, have you been to the City Museum in St. Louis? few of you been there? Anybody been there? A few people have been there. Okay, so when we were on our little vacation tour of the South on the way back, we stopped there this summer uh, in a pretty fascinating place. I'm not going to uh, get into detail to try to explain it to you. If you don't like heights or heat or tight spaces or big crowds of people, then maybe it's not for you. Uh, But if you can fight through some of those fears, maybe you would be fascinated by a visit to this city museum in uh, St. Louis. So in the picture on the screen, uh, Mariah and I are attempting to climb up an iron tube from the wing of one old airplane to the wing of another airplane about 10 stories above the ground. Now, our strategy while we did that was pretty simple. Both of us kind of had the same strategy. Hold on tight, don't look back, don't look down, and keep looking up ahead. Today, we get back into the book of Hebrews, where the message, I think, of this whole book is given to an audience of Jews who had been converted to Christianity, but were tempted to let go of the grip, to look back, to turn back even and walk away from Jesus. And the message of the book is, stick with Jesus. He is so much better. Hold on tight and keep looking ahead is the message, I think, of the book of Hebrews. Today we're going to look at an entire chapter. I'm going to read the whole thing, but like we did last week, to break it up into digestible pieces, I'm just going to read the first part of it now, and then we'll look at the second part of it in the midst of the sermon that I'll be preaching. So if you're able to, go ahead and stand, and we'll look at Hebrews chapter 3 right now, just reading verses 1 through 6. Let's pray first. Father, would you now, amongst a group of weak frail people who are weaker and frailer than we even would like to admit, whose, whose grip is not all that very tight. Help us with everything we do have to desire more and more to hold on and help this sermon to be helpful to that end. And then help the songs that we sing and the fellowship that we have uh, be used by your Spirit to, to help us, to encourage us. We need it. And so we give ourselves to you and ask you to work now by the reading and preaching of your word, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. God's word from Hebrews chapter 3, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house, For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed 
we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Amen. You can be seated. Inside your bulletin. Some of you have one of those scripture journals. You're using that to take some notes. Otherwise, uh, if you do take notes uh, and find an outline helpful, that is inside your bulletin there today. Two points today and then application. And the first point comes from the first six verses that I just read. And the point titles are not concise. They're long. But here's what we've got in verses 1 through 6. Consider Jesus, who is better than Moses, and hold fast to our confidence in him. Or after I typed this all out, I probably should have said our hope in him. But confidence works as well. Consider Jesus, who is better than Moses, and hold fast to our confidence in him. You noted, as I read this, I think, probably, that that it begins with the word therefore. Often a passage starts, it seems, with the word therefore. It's tying everything together. So we're asking ourselves naturally, what is that therefore? Well, it's there to remind us of what we've seen already in chapters 1 and 2. And in chapters 1 and 2, we have seen that Jesus is better than angels. Jesus, the perfect Word of God, the better revelation. Jesus, the one through whom everything was made. We saw His superior position and power in chapter 1. Jesus is better, higher and more powerful than anything in anyone. And then in chapter 2, we saw Jesus is better by, by looking at a much different uh, angle, and that angle was seeing Jesus as better because Jesus became fully human, and he suffered, and he died in our place, taking the wrath of the Father for our sins. He's our propitiation. He can now help us when we're tempted. So these two pictures all pointing to the same reality that Jesus is better than anything and anyone in chapter 1 and 2, and therefore is what we see at the beginning of chapter 3. Because of Jesus' superiority, because Jesus is better than anything and anyone in position and power, in humility, in his suffering, in his dying, what he's accomplished for us. Therefore, holy brothers, I love that he calls the people this, holy brothers. We looked last week at this awesome reality that Jesus is not ashamed to call us family. He doesn't look at us, he doesn't look at us and just kind of shake his head how many times he looks at us and it says in in chapter 2 he's not ashamed to call us brothers and so he begins chapter 3 with that reminder therefore holy brothers you who share in a heavenly calling reminding them reminding us that this world is not our final destination our citizenship is not here ultimately And so in light of all that, a command comes in verse 1. We're going to see a few commands in this passage, and right away we get one here in verse 1. You hear it? It's really simple. Consider Jesus. Or your translation could say, fix your eyes on Jesus, or fix your gaze on Jesus, or set your mind on Jesus. Consider Jesus. In all the things that you could be looking at and thinking about right now, consider Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers, since we have this heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Get your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what I've prayed God would help us to do here this morning. Get our eyes, get our hearts, get our minds fixed on Jesus. Consider Jesus, 
And then it calls Jesus the apostle, that is one who is sent out by God the Father, which certainly Jesus was the first of those. The apostle and the high priest, the one who represents us before God, the apostle and high priest of our confession, that is our confession of faith. And then we're going to hear, and you heard as I read this, this this comparison and contrast of Jesus and Moses. Think again about the audience that is hearing this sermon. Unlike most of us who are mostly, I would assume, Gentile or non-Jewish in background, this message originally was to a group of people that were Jewish by background. Right? They could trace their, their heritage back to Abraham and Moses. And so they revered Moses. And I love how the author of this letter, this, this sermon, is sensitive to the fact that these people have a great respect for Moses, as they should. I mean, think about what Moses has done for this people. He has been, as it says here, a faithful servant, right? A faithful servant, Let's, where does it say that? I know it says it. Here we go. Uh, in verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Moses was a faithful servant. Moses, the one called by God to go down to Egypt and lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. We call it the Exodus, right? And then he leads them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He's the one that goes up on the mountain and gets the law from God and brings it to the people. He's the author of the first five books of their scriptures, the Torah, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by the... So should they respect Moses? Yes, But remember, the message over and over and over again in Hebrews is going to be this, but Jesus is better. And so that's why it says in verse 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus is counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And and look at the contrast then that we see in verse 5 and 6. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Listen, I want you to be, like, this is a mental exercise. Listen for the differences. This is like one of those pictures where they hold up the two pictures and say, can you see what's different in these? What's different? Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. What's the same? Moses and Jesus both faithful. God's house shows up in both, Right? But did you notice the little change, the little word, before God's house? Moses was faithful in God's house. Moses as part of God's people. And and Jesus faithful over God's house. Moses faithful as a servant in God's house. Jesus faithful as the son over God's house. There's a difference between a son and a servant. There's a difference between being in God's house and being over God's house, right? And so that's why he's arguing Jesus is better than Moses. Again, to a group of people tempted to let go, to turn back. It might be easier if we went back to our old faith, our old religion. And the message is clear. No, you can't. Jesus is better. He's worthy of more glory than Moses. Don't go back to Moses. Verse 6 then. Here's why that matters to them. He says, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. 
So, so God's house, not being a tabernacle or a temple, but God's house, what's God building? What is Jesus over? Jesus is over God's house, God's people, the church, right? And so we read a passage like Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 22, which I think is really helpful up on the screen. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's what we just sang this morning. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What defines who God's people are? It's not tracing lineage back to genetically back to Abraham. It is faith in Jesus. If indeed, it says here, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And our hope is Jesus. So, consider Jesus, who is better than Moses, and hold fast to our confidence in Him. That's what we see in verses 1 to 6. And we might be saying, well, how? Why? We've got some more questions. So let's look at the rest of the verses. Let's just first look at 7 through 11. And remember that the audience, having Jewish background, has a great deal of respect for, as they should, the Word of God, their Scriptures. And so over and over again in the book of Hebrews, we see Old Testament quotations. I don't know if you caught this. When Brandon uh, this morning was reading us the call to worship, that was from Psalm 95, 1 through 7. What we're going to look at right now is the rest of Psalm 95, quoted here in Hebrews. So already by the time Hebrews is written, think about this, Hebrews is written in the first century, the mid-60s A.D., okay? The church, or sorry, God's people had been singing or using this in their worship, Psalm 95, for probably, for, for centuries, maybe even a millennium at this point, right? So they've been using this psalm to remind them of an event even further back in their history. And so now, as the author of Hebrews is trying to convince people, don't turn back, stick with Jesus, he's going to use an example from their own history using their own hymn book, Psalm 95. Okay? So, that's the context. And note that it says, this is not just the writing of a psalmist, this is what the Holy Spirit says. Okay, all Scripture breathed out by God. So, it says here in verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, now the rest of this is a quote of Psalm 95, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of rest testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he's referring them back to something that was used when they gathered together to refer them back to a pretty dark part of their history. In some ways, a glorious part of their history, but a glorious part turned dark pretty quick. What part of the history? We've got to look at what's the clue there. The clue is 
in the wilderness. It's this period of time. Let's do a quick history review, okay? Period of time after God's people, a small group of people, God promised them a land and he promised to make them a people, but it's just a few people and they don't have a land. And they end up down in Egypt. And in Egypt, they become slaves. And in Egypt, they also grow into a great people, which God had promised they would do. The problem is they're not in their own land. They're slaves in another land. God raises up a leader named Moses to go down and to be a part of all the miraculous things God does in order that his people might be set free from slavery in Egypt. They are to then go and do what God had commanded them to do, to go and take the land of Canaan. Yet, that's not what they did. They heard his voice and they disobeyed, or as it says here, They hardened their hearts as in the rebellion. They put God to the test, it says. And this lasts for 40 years that they do this. And therefore God is provoked with that generation and he swears to them, they shall not enter my rest. That generation, because of their failure before God, because of their disobedience to do what God said, because they would not move forward with doing what God said, they were not allowed to enter. And if you went back, I mean, we, could, we could spend some time reviewing even in more detail the story. But what they had done, if you want to go back and look this week, Numbers 14 would be a great place to look. So just go back and read Numbers 14. There were spies, remember, that went to look at the land. And two of them, came, their, their report was, man, that land is awesome. That land that God has promised, that is an awesome land. But most of the spies were fearful, and so they came back and convinced the people, rather than hearing God's voice and obeying it and going and taking the land, they convinced the people to live in fear and to say, there's no way we can do that. Right? So you read about that in Numbers chapter 14, and the result would be that that generation would die in the wilderness, or as it puts it here, they shall not enter my rest. Now, I think the heart of this passage is verses 12 to 14. And so he follows up verses 7 through 11, this reminder of their history with some commands, with a warning in verses 12 to 14. I want to get to that, but then after the warning, he goes back to remind them of their history. Like in case they didn't get it in verses 7 through 11, he goes back to it in verses 15 to 19. So we're going to come back to 12 to 14, but let's skip ahead right now to verses 15 to 19 where he just kind of makes it clear, just so you know what I'm talking about. Who was it that rebelled? Who are we talking about here? Look at verse 15. And as it is said, and again, quoting from Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then he lays it out more clearly. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? He just wants to make sure you you get who the people were. It was your people. It was our people, right? It was the Jewish people who had heard from God and disobeyed and rebelled and did not do what God said. They turned back. They would not go ahead. Verse, eight, verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter, why? Because of unbelief. 
They were unable to enter because of unbelief. All right. So there's the review of the history. And so basically, he's laying all this out, I think, to be a don't be like that. My, My siblings and I, we still laugh and still use it pretty much every time we're around my parents of one of my mom's most famous phrases when we were growing up. And that is, we would, I've shared it probably with you before, uh, we would hear something of something that happened. You know, we lived in a small town like Iowa Falls, so you'd hear of stuff that other people did, or you'd hear something on the news that was horrible. And my mom's famous phrase was looking at us kids and saying, you kids don't do that. Like, yep, you're right, Mom. <laughs> we, we, we don't do that, right? You kids don't do that. Really, that's the message I think that we're getting here. It's looking back at their people's history, saying this is our family. These are our ancestors. This is the way that they dealt with the word of God. This is how they disobeyed God. This is how they rebelled against God. They, they didn't go forward. They turned back. Don't be like them. You kids don't do that. Right? That's the message, I think, in verses 12 to 14. Look at it. Verses 12 to 14. Take care, brothers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Those people failed to enter the promised land because of their unbelief, and so it's right for him to look at these people looking like they might fall away, that they might turn back, that they might give up, that even though once they have now professed faith in Jesus, that they might say, yeah, no, I'm going back. This is, this is pretty hard. And so he tells them, take care, right? Don't get complacent. Don't get passive. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you. This is not just something people in the past did or something other people do. This is something you who profess faith in Jesus do. You might have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, quick note, this is going to come up other times in Hebrews as well. Somebody who is truly a believer cannot lose their salvation and fall away from God. But listen to this also. It is very common for someone to at one point in life identify as one of God's people, say the right words in the right way at the right time so that people believe that this person has been saved and become one of God's people. But those people sometimes prove over a lifetime of turning away from Jesus and living in a contrary way that they never truly were a believer. That's possible. And so here, this is a warning about those who might have an evil, unbelieving heart leading them to fall away from the living God. So that sounds serious. It is serious. What are we supposed to do about it? Look at verse 13. It's our memory verse for this week. But exhort one another. Exhort means like a strong kind of encouragement. Like we we need to be specific and direct in the way that we're encouraging one another. Okay, so notice the one another. This is not like, hey, how do you not fall away? Well, just get in your closet and spend a lot of time by yourself with your Bible. No, get outside of your closet and be with one another. If we're not going to fall backwards, if we're not going to turn back, if we're going to hold on tightly, we need one another. So listen to this. But exhort one another every day. And then this phrase, 
as long it is called as long as it is called today. Well, that's every day, right? Like so, every day. Well, what about tomorrow? Well, what's tomorrow going to be called tomorrow? Today, right? So every single day is called today. So I love that he throws that in there. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Like, well, I, I get a day off like in three days, right? No, because in three days it's going to be today on that day. So I guess I got to do it then too, right? Exhort at one another every day as long as it's called today. Listen, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Think about the people hearing this. A small, persecuted minority of believers. How easy would it be for them to be like their ancestors in the wilderness? Who heard from the spies, oh, there's, there's sons of Anak, the Nephilim live in that land. We should not go there. And so they say, all right, we're not going to listen to God. We're going to listen to your fear-causing words. H- how easy would it be for the people in the first century hearing this sermon? They're the small persecuted group, and persecution is on the rise. And the Roman Empire is pretty powerful, a lot more powerful than a few Christians scattered in a few different areas. And so how easy would it be for them to say, I don't, I don't know that I can keep going ahead with Jesus. I think life might be a lot better if I turn back, if I let go. Their ancestors were hardened, but they are called not to be hardened. Well, why not? Listen to verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if... Indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence, that is our confidence that it is Christ alone who saves us. That's their original confidence. If we hold that confidence, when? How long? Firm to the end. Don't be hardened is the message Hold on to your confidence in Jesus. And when persecution comes, hold on. This is how you will know that you have come to share in Christ. If you hold on to the end. And so, to a people fearful of the way the tide is turning against them. To a people fearful of the coming persecution and suffering. And to a people that maybe are just nostalgic for their old religion because that was kind of fun. There's this constant temptation to look down, to look back, to loosen the grip and to fail to keep moving toward Jesus, to fix their eyes on Jesus, to consider Jesus. And so the message is, hold on tight and keep looking at Jesus. And you can't do it alone. So look to one another for help and help other people. We need to be doing this together. We're God's house. He's building it together, right? So, application for us in this. I've got three important questions. The first question is this. Have you been adopted by God through faith in Jesus? Are you a part of God's house would be another way to say it. That doesn't mean you showed up in this concrete structure on Sunday morning. Being a part of God's house means you trust in Christ alone for your salvation. And you have been adopted by God Now, part of the family, this passage is addressed to 
Remember at the beginning, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. Is this you? Last week, we heard this good news that Jesus became fully human to suffer and to die and to take on the wrath of God in our place for our sin, and He is not ashamed. Even though there's stuff in your life that you're ashamed of that maybe even your family doesn't know, He knows it, and He is not ashamed to call you family. Are you a part of God's house by adoption through faith in Jesus? If not, hear this warning. You are a sinner who will justly endure the wrath of God for your sin. Talk about a a serious warning. Here's a serious warning. If you do not trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are a sinner who will justly endure the wrath of God for all of eternity. And hear this good news. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be saved from this. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be saved from this. And so my plea to you today would be to put your trust in Him, your confidence in Him, your hope in Him. So have you been adopted by God through faith in Jesus? If your answer to that question is no, let's talk. There's no more important question to deal with. And if the answer to that question for you is yes, (laughs) praise God, I am His. All my sin paid for by Christ. This is who I am. Then a couple of questions for you. You need to hear the warning because this is who this warning is to. Holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, listen. Hear the warning that we might not be hardened and that we might instead hold on. So question number two is this. What might cause you to become hardened and turn back? Because we're looking at the situation for them. The situation for them is the Roman Empire has great power and they are now turning against Christians. That's scary for them. We're not really all that scared of the Roman Empire here today. So what is it that might cause us to turn back? I think we can get some clues even from looking back at what caused God's people in the wilderness to not go forward and obey God. Why did they rebel? I think we get from that some reasons that we might rebel. So we need to hear a warning every now and then, don't we? Warnings are helpful. We recently bought a little old station wagon from Kirsten's grandparents uh, for Annika to use in driving around. And soon after we started driving it, the service engine soon light came on. And Kirsten's grandpa told us, oh, just ignore that. That, that, that's just on. Like, it doesn't mean anything, just ignore it, right? So we do that. I still notice it every time that I get in the car and turn it on, but I don't do anything about it, right? This warning that we hear here in this passage is not the kind of thing that's blinking on the dash and you're like, ah, I don't think there's anything to worry about. No, there's something to be concerned about when you hear this warning. What would cause me to fall away from the living God? What would cause me to loosen my grip and just turn back and be done with it? Listen to the serious warning in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Let's take it seriously. I'm going to break it up by addressing first older generations and then younger generations, and you get to decide uh, which one you fit in, right? For the older generations, do you notice in yourself or should I say, do we notice in ourselves, right? If I double my age, I'm 84, so I might be in the older generations. I don't know. 
a longing for predictability and comfort. Do you notice that? I've said that as people say, you ready for another school year? Like one of my answers is, yeah, we like routine. I like when things are predictable and they move along the way I think they should move along. But warning, listen, we can love it so much that we are lulled to sleep, conforming to the values of the world and hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. Like, like we somehow deserve comfort and predictability. Like the Israelites who hit a rough patch and long for the old days. Remember as they're wandering in the wilderness? Remember God had just saved them miraculously out of slavery and they're wandering in the wilderness and they don't have like all the food they used to. Remember what they do? Just like, oh, remember the garlic we used to have in Egypt? Remember those onions? Oh, the onions were good. And they start longing for it. That's what happens in Numbers 14 even. They're looking for a leader who can take them back to Egypt. And there is this thing in us that's very much like them. We forget what God has saved us from, but we look at the rest like, oh, I liked when I knew what was coming. Maybe also we need to be warned about an impatient for how an impatience for how long it's taking for God to fulfill his promises. You know what's ahead, but you see things getting worse. You know the promised land is there, but it's really easy to lose hope because maybe you watch the news too much. So all you see is the wilderness, and you're not considering Jesus enough. You don't, you don't look to the promised land. You're just thinking, oh, man, there's giants. It's scary. And then you just kind of are paralyzed, and you, and you get stuck, not really being obedient to do all that God's called you to do. May we not be like this. And for younger generations, kids, middle school kids, high school kids, elementary school kids, you're about to go back to school. And one thing that I always remember about school is I just always wanted, I, I, I was scared of sticking out and being noticed and different from everybody. And I really desired to fit in with everybody. And because of that, I made some really dumb decisions. But that's pretty normal. To, to, to fear sticking out and to desire to fit in. I think if you're a kid today, it's going to be harder for you to be a Christian than it was for your parents if your parents were Christians. If you go to the public school, probably a lot of the people around you don't love Jesus. It's easier to be like them than it is to be different from them. It really is. But my hope is that you would practice now in the little things being different. Even if it makes you stick out. Even if people kind of laugh at you or make fun of you or kind of push you off to the side, that's what they did to Jesus too, and he understands, and he's worth it. He's better. Also, I think in, in a younger generation, there's this potential for ungratefulness, that we've been given so much. Most of us have grown up with more than most people in the rest of the world and most people in history could ever imagine, tons of material things. Most of you have a family uh, with people who love you. And it's easy to complain like God hasn't given you enough, just like the Israelites did in the wilderness. That was part of their, part of their deal, just complaining, grumbling over and over again, like, like God hadn't provided them what they needed. May we not be like that. And then a reminder or a warning for all generations, just this, be careful of the temptation to ignore the message that we hear over and over again. 
we go back to verses 7 and 8, remember, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, you've got a choice. When you hear from the word of God, you've got a choice what you're going to do with it. And here, the warning is, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. We see that again later in verse 15. Verse 16 says, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? We must not ignore the message we've heard and harden our hearts to it. If you see that happening, that's a warning light and you need to pay attention to it. Pray for God to prepare your heart. This is something our family has consistently prayed, I think probably every Saturday night for a long time. One of the things that our kids pray, that we pray on Saturday evening is, God, prepare our hearts for being with your people for worship tomorrow. We want to be ready to be the people who are ready to exhort one another, to encourage one another. We want to be people who are ready to hear the word of God and not be hardened, but to hear the word of God and be obedient. The other danger, final one, I think, is forgetting what we were rescued from. Just like the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt but soon longed to go back, we must be alert to how easy it would be for us to forget what God has saved us from, our slavery to sin. And to just kind of turn back and like put the handcuffs on again. We must not forget these things. We must hear these warnings and not be hardened and turn back. And then the final question is simply this. Who is encouraging you to hold on to Jesus to the end? Maybe you didn't pick this up because it was in the two different sections. But listen to verse 6 again and then listen to verse 14. Verse 6. Start in the middle of it. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Hear that? Hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Then listen to verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We have sung and and preached this truth over and over again that God will hold on to, will preserve those who are his, and this is good news. But we also must hear this exhortation, this command that we hold on ourselves. It's also up to us that we would be people who would hold on. And we do that by considering Jesus. We do that when we remember that Jesus is better than Moses, which most of us already know. But we also need to be reminded that Jesus is better than predictability, better than comfort, better than routine, better than popularity, whatever. Jesus is better So we think about him, we consider him, we look ahead, we look up at him, and then we need to exhort one another every day. Exhort one another every day. We we need to get together outside of Sunday. You need to have friends who are believers. Maybe that works well because you go to school with some friends who love Jesus. That's awesome. Hang out with those people. Maybe you go to work with some people who love Jesus. That's great. Exhort one another every day. Only if it's called today. You get the day off if it's not called today that day. But if it's called today that day, then you you don't have the day off. We need to exhort each other. We need to encourage each other. Because it's super easy to just get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and to just kind of drift away like we talked about last week. So find ways every day. And so that's why as fall gets going... We want it. We've got all sorts of volunteers serving in all sorts of different ways. We've got Sunday school. We've got youth group. We've got life groups. We've got men's Bible study, women's Bible study. 
Maybe you can't make it every time, but just like, I need this. I need to be with other people more than one time a week. And so I'm going to get together with other people and exhort one another. I'm going to be encouraged by them, and I'm going to encourage them to stick with it. And then, of course, I think, prioritizing getting together with the church every Sunday. We need more than Sunday, but we certainly need Sunday. That's the aim of what we try to do in what we sing, in how we pray, in what I preach. We want to help you consider Jesus, to get your mind fixed on Jesus, to remind you that Jesus is better than anything, so that we can walk out with confidence, not in ourselves, not in our religion, but in Him. He is our hope. And so that's why we sing songs. I mean, we're singing this new song, Christ Assurance Steady Anchor, because it comes from the book of Hebrews. And it's going to be something I think we need to hear again and again. And when it's new, like you're just trying to like catch the tune and get through it. So let me just remind us of these words and close the sermon in this way. Here's what we sang. Christ, the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. Some of you are feeling like that. Like like the ship's coming into harbor and it's been through a journey. You're getting beat up. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. And you might come to a point where we're singing that on Sunday morning like, I can't sing it. But you can hear other people around you singing it. You can say, I want to do that. I want to hold fast. Christ, the sure and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on, when temptation claims the battle and it seems the night has won, deeper still then goes the anchor. Though I justly stand accused, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Christ, the sure and steady anchor, through the floods of unbelief, Hopeless somehow, oh my soul now, lift your eyes to Calvary, right? Consider Jesus, this my ballast of assurance. See his love forever proved. I will hold fast to the anchor, it shall never be removed. Christ, the sure and steady anchor as we face the wave of death. When these trials give way to glory, as we draw our final breath, we will cross that great horizon Clouds behind and life secure. This is beautiful. And the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. Christ, the shore of our salvation. This is where we're headed. Ever faithful, ever true, we will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Let's pray. Father, we're struggling more than we admit to one another. But we confess to you now that it's easy for us to become hardened and deceived by sin. God, I know that some in here today are living in the fury of the storm. They've got winds of doubt and it feels like it's just blowing right through them. Their hope seems to be sinking. But I pray, God, that we would help one another hold fast to Jesus. For those who have fallen to temptation again this week, for whom it seems like the night has won, help us to hold fast to the one who rescued us from the penalty and power of sin. For those filled with 
fear and anxiety, flooded by unbelief. Help us to lift our eyes to Calvary, to consider Jesus, to see his love for us so that we might have assurance. God, I pray that we would hold fast to Jesus so that one day when we draw our final breath, we would cross that great horizon and like it says in the passage we looked at today, enter our rest. And we trust that the calm of that day will be better because of the storms that we've endured. And we know we can endure them only in Christ, who is our sure and steady anchor. Thank you that he is faithful and true, and so it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song that comes right from Romans chapter.